Now, get ready to talk hockey. Streaming from the Oilers Live Studio. Subscribe or follow today. Hey, 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 it's Michael here with another edition of Oilers Live Tuesdays. I've got uh, two guests on tonight. I've got The Secret Professor, one of the hosts of uh, Handkerchief Diaries. Is that right? Diaries. Dynasty. Dynasty. Wow. I think you're, hey, I think you're confusing our show with the Motorcycle Diaries. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, hey, it's <laughs> Handkerchief Dynasty. I knew that. I knew that. And then I've also I mean, been in Halifax. I, I, Michael thought he was doing a diary <laughs> entry. It's like, I don't know. I don't know why you'd be confused by it, my friend. I mean, we only put together two completely random words in a haphazard, like improvised fashion. That's Handkerchief true. Dynasty in the sense that it's, it's a hockey team that's made us cry a lot in the past. And we're hoping that those tears <laughs> will soon turn to joy. That's why if you search us on Google Podcasts or wherever, you'll see the image of Wayne Gretzky crying. Because, that's right. you know. That's this right. is a this is that. a franchise born of pain, friends. <laughs> born of pain. And then Which my could... other guest, my other guest is Mr. Dash himself from Straight Off the Pipe Podcast, joining me again. I think my most uh, frequent guest now. So welcome, guys. <laughs> welcome. And sorry to cut you off, Mr. Professor. No, uh, not at all. I mean, I was just going to say, like, hopefully that pain turns to joy at one point, like at the end of War and Peace, where like, because the main character has been through all this crap, he just appreciates life more. Like if the Oilers go on some runs here and these two games are a nice start to going on a little run to save the season here, the pain will give way to the most profound, undefinable joy. Um, but <laughs> no, don't no need to apologize for interrupting me. I mean, you had to intro the show. Sorry for stepping on your intro. Hey. I'll just turn it over to Dash, though. Let's go. No, well, Dash, I mean, tell me, how'd you come up with straight off the pipe, Dash? I mean, we got handkerchief dynasties, but straight off the pipe sounds kind of lame now, doesn't it? <laughs> Based on the story I was just hearing from uh, Isaac, I think he's the one that's straight off the pipe. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I think I might, I might be. Yeah, I do live adjacent to the downtown east side. Actually, that's a funny thing. You want to hear a bit of a dirty story that's like kind of fucked up and embarrassing? All right. Start us off. You live a block from Hastings. Let's go. Yeah, I live a block from Hastings in Vancouver, which is if you know Vancouver, you know something about that. It's downtown. It's like I think the building was just sold to these like evil uh, real estate investors for like 50 million or whatever. But it's in a shitty just next to the shitty part of the town. I'm downstairs really late at night, kind of an ungodly hour. It's probably like 3 a.m. smoking a cigarette. And this guy comes up to me. He's like, sir, can I borrow your lighter? And when you're smoking and someone asks, asks to borrow your lighter, sometimes it'd be hard to say no because you obviously have a lighter. You know, so the guy fucking takes my lighter and then kind of like does something. He's like, takes his jacket out. And then clearly I realize he's fucking smoking something out of some goddamn pipe or something. And then he like takes off with my lighter and I'm like, fuck. And then I kind of like yell at him. I kind of like yell some exitives like, you know, F you or whatever. But I'm also like at this point kind of scared. I'm just like, I didn't get the fuck out of here. Like (laughs) get back up to my apartment, which is like totally overpriced Vancouver downtown. Um, (laughs) So. I'm not on the pipe, but I'm well aware of the consequences of going on the pipe, living in the neighborhood I do, which is kids. I'm just going to tell you one thing. Don't do drugs. Just talk about doing drugs. You can look cool. Don't actually do them. (laughs) Talk, talk all you want about doing drugs, right? Is that, that's our, uh, that's our PSA for today. We, uh, I'm glad that we got that out of the way. Um, 
You I know, thought he was right. speaking directly to Ken Holland about the Keith deal. Actually, was that was that <laughs> directed to everybody? I mean, oh, the, like I'm speaking directly to Ken Holland because, like, on the day where he like took the job to be the Oilers GM, which in some ways I think he was never fully like prepared for what he was like taking on. I don't think anyone really can be, you know. Um, he might have been he might have been just off the pipe that day, you know, and pissed off for being kind of elbowed out in Detroit or something. Um. I still think he's one of the best GMs we've had in recent memory, but if, if the season has done one thing other than completely play with my emotions in a, in a real messed up and sadistic and cruel way, um, it's shown that, you know, maybe a new approach sans Ken Holland might be in the future. And that might be a good page for the, for the franchise and the organization to turn at some point. Look, it's Michael Stahl for bringing the... both you and I on this episode at the same time because he's not going to get another word in for about forty minutes. Yeah, it's true. Like, and I'm sorry to be such a downer after a fucking awesome to like a comeback win. You know, well, it's just we're going to start talking about Holland. We can get in there if you want. That's cool. I just well, think that you know, guys, if we're going to compare uh... him and make him one of the better GMs. It's when you're comparing someone to Tambellini and Chiarelli. That's not that tough to do. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's the same. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same way where people say, "Oh, they're the best X on the Oilers. They're the Oilers' best defenseman. The Oilers' best." you know, uh, winger or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, but like, w- what's the sample that you're comparing for sure? Like Tambellini, Shirelli, McTavish, you know, Holland, it's, they're all kind of about the same in a weird way. Maybe it's not the GM necessarily. That was the problem all those years. Hmm. Okay. Well, guys, we're going to get into that because I think this is a good topic of conversation, but let's talk about the Oilers win tonight for sure in OT. Uh, off offline, Dash said uh, he had a feeling in his gut that the Oilers were going to come back and win it. I, on the other hand, uh, had considered turning off the TV for the third period, <laughs> if not that I knew that we were going to come in and and uh, do a live stream tonight. I'll tell you what I turned off before the third period, and this has actually been part of my uh, my pregame checklist before every Oilers game for about the last month. Is I make sure you know you you, you procure your your accoutrement, your snacks and your drinks and whatnot. But one thing I've been doing, which has really been helpful is becoming a, a emotionally unavailable, making sure that I become emotionally <laughs> unavailable before the game <laughs> yeah, yeah. so that as I'm watching it, um, there's less torture involved because obviously they're going to get scored on first. We just know that that's the given the games they lose the games they win. This is just a team that gets scored on first. I think at this point we've, we've over fixated on it to the point where it's become kind of like a like a wormhole or like a quantum singularity and we're kind of like it's it's dangerous well, I, hey you know um, I so i don't it. want to talk about it anymore but uh, the third period therefore having become emotionally unavailable and having actually left in the period break to go and procure a half mickey of canadian club whiskey which is the whiskey <laughs> you get when you cheer for a canadian club that's breaking your heart yeah um and then in the third period they tied it up and then they went in an ot and i'm just like i don't know what to feel i'm i haven't even caught up to how I'm supposed to feel. What a great comeback win. I love these, this team. I love these guys. I'm cheering like hell for them through thick and thin. I don't care. Um, and I'm just grateful that we can look in the rearview mirror and look at two wins after not looking at two wins in a row for a long fucking time. Let's be honest, guys. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. I mean, the last time we won a game, we won two in a row. Uh, all right. Dash, what's your, uh, like, give me your thoughts on the game story tonight. Game story. Um, you know, we were coming off that win, I guess, against the Flames. And for some reason, I just, it, it had that same type of feeling coming, you know, there's the, the two nothing deficit and 
it's not like I felt that way against the flames, but coming off of that win and into this game, I just like, I think that, you know, there's only a few guarantees in life, boys. There's, there's death taxes. We give up the first goal, um, you know, and, <laughs> and we make the other goalie look like George Vesna. Um, oh, and I, yeah. I think I tweeted out before the game that we would find a way to do so. And we've got their 16th string goalie. And what did we pepper them with? You know, 47 shots, uh, high grade scoring chances on natural stat trick were 30 to 18. Um, it just felt that it was gonna come. I don't know. It just like it, you could see a couple of shifts where dry and McDavid kind of put it on their back. And even with about three minutes left there, McDavid had a chance and I thought, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna do it again. And, and it didn't quite get there, but I don't know. It just had that feel for me. Like it was, you know, I I guess I'm just used to being scored on first and that we're going to have to chase the game, but this felt like a different chase. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Your thoughts, uh, Mr. Professor game story. Uh, tonight. Yeah. I mean, um, at this point, the like whole getting scored on first thing, even though we were playing pretty well and getting chances and, and not getting rewarded, it's, it's one of those things that's just getting kind of insane, just to have to hold in one's mind by oneself. Like, unless you're sitting on a couch next to another person, we can be like, it's crazy how we get scored on like first every time, even though we're getting all these great chances. Um, I felt like as the game went on, they just started to play really gritty and they started to play really hard. And they were getting shots on net um, when they had clear opportunities to and getting there were a lot of rebounds and second chances. I mean, Bouchard on the power play um, is a really interesting story because, you know, he's still new there. This is really like his second game in that in that role um, just, you know, uh, from the beginning of the game. Um, And even though he wasn't getting it through, obviously, as much as he did when he scored two goals in four minutes last game, um, there was a lot of chaos created from those point shots from him. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how those players evolve uh, in like reading each other and playing off each other. Because after the, after the last game, you could see that the players were deferring to him, this power play already. They were just like, okay, give Bouchard the puck, let him fucking try and shoot it from the point. I think I only saw a couple of them blocked, but he was, it was like, he was a, a focal point of the power play, probably like maybe even too much. So, um, but I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, and as I was, you know, I was emotionally unavailable um, and and <laughs> was kind of like cut off and like glass eyed uh, the whole time. But like as I was watching that, I was like, well, you know, if when I go on Oilers Live later, I can say one positive is 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 Bouchard in the power play looks interesting and looks yeah. like it's going to be a bit of a story going forward. Yeah. Um, and like, don't be surprised. There, there's teams that would would acquire Barry if it really comes to that. So I don't oh, think yeah. we all need to freak out about it. Um, too much. Yeah, um, I don't know why anybody would freak out about it. I mean, it's um, like for the past, you know, couple of years, everybody's been, you know, more, like a lot of people outside of management in the Oilers organization have been writing Barry off. So, you know, there's not from a fan base, I'd say, not being, you know, yeah. no, you're, yeah. you're, yeah, I mean, no, handkerchief, so- handkerchief dynasty as a whole have been firmly in the Barry camp because there's such confirmation bias whenever people look at his defensive lapses, I mean, of course he has defensive lapses and that's not the strength of his game. But when you watch the game with that in your mind already, you're just going to see it so much more. And that shit happens to every fucking defense. Well, like, to, that, Cody to that tonight, point, look at, you know? oh, well, look at Bouchard. Bouchard was awful totally. defensively tonight. I mean, he could have been on for four against. Uh, he was, he was horrendous. And I mean, and, he's a young uh, guy. Yeah. He, he, 
it looked like he was trying to get uh, like the over under on that one uh, down low, and he <laughs> he did everything in his power, but uh, Vancouver couldn't score. Uh, my thoughts on the game, guys. I you know mm. I I wasn't um, as hopeful. Dash, I, I like you know first off, you know th- this first goal thing is ridiculous. I you know I put out a tweet at some point tonight to say you know why don't we just you know spitballing, but hear me out. You know, why don't we just go and score the first goal right off the off the opening draw? That way we get it out of the way and we can play our game, right? Like it's that bad that if we don't let them score the first goal until the second period's almost over, that gives us not as much time to come back and win the game, right? <laughs> like it's it's like the game doesn't score and as game doesn't start till the other team scores. And and um and I don't know, I you know like the kind of mental block that's there for that to happen. I just don't, I just don't understand it, but for the first time tonight, I think I'm starting to, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, But for the first time tonight, I, uh, and and maybe the first time in his career, I legit thought that we, we saw Connor McDavid in a slump when he missed that open net. And then they went and scored on the, uh, on the shorthanded goal. Yeah. Like I just like my <laughs> my heart sank. It didn't it didn't sink because we were down to nothing. It sank because McDavid started to look human the last few games, right? And 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 well, I mean, here's the headline: McDavid is actually a human being. As much as we worship him as a demigod, I know as shocking as it he's sounds. Never, he's, he's as much never as he's gone. like a, he's like a Michael Phelps playing hockey like esque freak of nature who's just like. But God's he's never gift gone to the this sport. Long. He's never he gone is, in this fact, long a human without, being. Uh, we should probably, without, um, you know, sure. actually performing right. And so, and so, when he did that tonight, which was, you know, that's mm. that's like his, you know, that's money for him, right? Like those kind of goals are money for him, and and for it, and and it wasn't just the fact that he missed the empty net. Well, he didn't miss the empty net. It was a good defensive play, but wasn't the fact that he missed the the opportunity. It would that to top that off, they went down and scored on the shorthanded goal. Right. And so I just like, to me, you know, that's what deflated me was, was this whole McDavid thing. And, and like, I've never felt like he had a monkey on his back. Uh, But then, you know, McDavid does McDavid things sometimes and he goes and he, and he changes that, you know, in, in overtime, but he's looked uh, on occasion over the past four, five, six games, like, you know, he's on a roller coaster of energy level, right? Like he'll come out for, you know, a full period where he looks like he's going to score 20 and he doesn't score. And then, um, and then he kind of, you know, he looks, you know, I know he's human, but he looks a little bit more human, uh, you know, on other occasions. And, and frankly, you know, that was to me, that was the game story tonight. And then if, if McLeod hadn't scored the, um, the blooper, well, you know, this game would have been over and, and that was kind of, you know, what we needed, but dry uh, look at, we talk about McDavid so much. Um, and, uh, dry has been without dry This team would be nothing over the past, you know, three, oh, four games, like the 100%, guy, the guy 100%. is unbelievable. Yeah. No, dry uh, like once in a lifetime, once in a generation talent and then person too. And he's also a human being. I mean, when they, if they, if they score 0.75 points per game, we're all just like, oh, 
like what's up but for like other other caliber players other tiers of players one would never necessarily say that but there's just such lofty expectations with players of that level um i was so happy to see mcleod speaking of like non because we always talk about the top two and i think that's actually one thing we need to do less of because we need a team we don't need the best two players in the world we need a fucking team pardon my french that can have the two best players in the world. But like, I gotta be honest, like this is a really important season for the Edmonton Oilers. Like if they don't make a run of it, I mean, we're going to start thinking about like whether these, the two best players in the world are going to want out at some point, if the rest of the organization can't get it together. And I, I, I really like McLeod. I see a really bright future for him. I loved his goal. Um, I loved his moxie. I mean, he, he plays, with some, he played with some grit in the third period. I felt like with oh, he's getting team. better every game. There's no yeah. doubt. Yeah, yeah, he's getting to be an NHLer uh, every game, and and um, it's just coming along. Like he's the kind of guy, you know, he's what you expected. He's kind of what you'd hope they'd start to develop last year, um, you know. But again, right, like you know, we've talked about it so much on here, which is you know, Tippett doesn't want to play the rookies, right? Um, but he's had to play McLeod this year and McLeod's come, you know, he's shown everybody what, uh, what they want. Dash is gone. I don't know what happened to dash, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you one thing. I got a lot more time for giving uh, forwards, particularly wingers uh, some, some minutes as rookies, as opposed to defensemen. Like I think one organizational flaw or at least like sticking point, a sticky wicket, as they would say in cricket, organizationally is is we have all these we have several young interesting defensemen you know bouchard would be at the top of the list obviously followed by broberg you know you probably put samarukov there's other guys in that mix but defensemen take so long to develop it's such a difficult game to play as a defenseman that it might take evan bouchard three or four or five years to fill out his game and continue to improve like the runway for a young talented defenseman to improve his game is like five years once they become a regular. Darnell Nurse has gotten better every single year, you know, and he's just transitioning now from a young, uh, talented blue chip defenseman uh, to, you know, a full like a, like a fully fledged veteran graybeard. Basically, he's like one of the few kind of almost like graybeard guys on the team outside of a couple of other guys. And it might like if we're if we think we're going to go in next year with Bouchard and Broberg. Um, without also adding or tweaking the defense. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's going to be super successful. Like you want to, you need to give players enough runway to prove themselves and develop their game without giving them too much. And we're, we're a fan base in a franchise that has seen the consequences of giving young players too much ice time before they were ready. You know, and we wonder what would have happened if we actually had let so and so or so. Yeah, I'm I'm of two percolate. minds of that though, right? Like it, to me, that's like yeah, you can let guys percolate, but at the same time, you guys got to play when they got to play, right? Like it's it's not about letting people. You know, everybody wants to use this term over ripen all the time, right? Did anybody let? You know, McDavid over ripen in, in the AHL. No, uh, he's an exception because he's that kind of proves the rule right? in a way. He's McDavid. Well, Those first overall guys are. Yeah, but my, in a my bit point of a is, is, is every every situation is going to be unique in, in in and of itself, right? Like, there's not going to be any. You know, there's no formula that makes a hockey player a hockey player, right? Look at you know, I mean, and then on the flip side, you know, you if you want to talk about the over ripening rule, you you look at. Um, 
Kale McCarr, right? Like he, um, you know, he's been, he spent some time out and, and he comes in and he's, he's, uh, absolutely outstanding, right? Like he, you know, he didn't have to, uh, come right away and, and do that nurse, right? Nurse took some time to develop defensemen do take time to develop, but at the same time, you got to play players, you know, when they're ready to play, like it's, it's, it's not so simple just to say, well, they're young. So let's put them in the AHL. Um, some guys, some guys need to, some guys need to get out and play last year, I think was, you know, was a opportunity missed with Bouchard. We basically sat him for a whole year. Um, you know, for what, because that's what the formula says, you know, I, I mean, it didn't, didn't really suit us anything to, um, you know, to have I mean, that. And- I don't think they would have done it if it wasn't for COVID to a certain extent. At least that's my quest, my, my question there. Like, would, would, would Bouchard have just played in the AHL that season if, if it wasn't for, you know, this shittier version of 12 monkeys that the whole world's living through? You know, like at least 12 monkeys, we had the, you know, oozing charisma of Bruce Willis. The beauty of Madeline Stowe, you know, <laughs> the brilliant direction and, and vision and mise en scene, I think is the term of Terry Gilliam, you know, yeah. possibly one of the most, probably possibly the most talented of the Monty Pythons. But I ought to welcome Dash back. Dash, we lost you there for a while. Were you just like, did you need time to collect your feelings after this topsy turvy game? I, I, I may or may not have had uh, some video issues but uh yeah it, my feelings are definitely hurt that's what it came down to for sure you've still got video issues there your mic sounds different too <laughs> it's okay yeah i had to switch yeah, yeah. switch yeah, prices you, you can't do anything you can't put a filter on or something <laughs> it's really weird though because like this game i mean where the season has been has gone to such shit in terms of the oilers going from feast to famine and being like uh, seemingly a good team, maybe getting a little lucky to being like 32 in like a number of categories over a month period of time. So every game now is kind of a microcosm of the season where you're watching the game and you're like, okay, well, we got to win this game where like the fucking season is looking like it's in jeopardy. So in the second, after the second period, I was already being like, okay, well, you know, Maybe the season is on the, maybe the season isn't going to go that great. And then we come back and win. It's going to take me at least another 18 to 26 hours to accept that the Oilers are still potentially in the run of this. And if they win the third game, watch out boy. Cause like this team has been primed, I think for a run for a while. And I think they still have it in them. So Godspeed. So like, I like to unpack that dash. I mean, is that the way you look at it? Like, do you think this team is prime for a run? Man, I don't know. It's a, do you have to ask me this live, bro? Um, <laughs> I mean, with a goalie. I mean, we you have the prime. It's like when you're painting a house and you just have the primer on, but without the second coat. Like, we still need the goalie this, this to finish the primer layer. The home renos. <laughs> but you got to prime. People that don't prime should be like locked We're up. Talking there should about be like basements. a minimum. Minimum six month jail sentence for not priming when you're painting a fucking house <laughs> or like anything, really. You got to prime. It's got to sand too. People don't, people don't appreciate that enough. So we've got some comments online. We've got uh, a couple of people watching on Twitch. Uh, Warriors Oilers says, um, oh, geez, I missed a lot here. Uh, Holland didn't solve our main problem, goaltending and forward depth, and he had salary cap to work with. 
uh, and defensemen taking a long time to develop makes the Reinhardt trade even worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shannon on uh, Facebook, Dash's biggest fan, so he thinks. <laughs> uh, says, uh, shouldn't have went to OT. Pedersen goal was something you'd see in midget. It was, th- it was through the legs. I mean, CC didn't look amazing on it. I'll tell you that much. I mean, but I'm CC's C- C- got several get out of jail free cards in terms of just coming in and being like decent. I, I'll be honest, the, the defense is a big worry for me. I mean, we goaltending, yes, definitely number one issue. But like, guys, we have like a really weirdly constructed defense right now. Yeah, defense wasn't not- bad tonight, though. Like, I mean, defense it- wasn't our problem tonight. But like the ceiling for our defense is like a little more middling than I think we're all prepared to accept at this point. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. When you when like the only people worried that our uh, our defensemen wouldn't clear waivers were Oilers fans, (laughs) right? Like, you know, it's you know you got a guy that I'm not uh, sure anyone was worried. Yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, a lot of people thought he'd get picked up. And the fact is, I mean, most of the defensemen on our team would clear waivers. That's the challenge we have right now. I mean, it's a challenge to acquire NHL-ready, you know, top four-minute-ready defensemen. It's it's one of the hardest positions to play, I think, in all of professional sports. No question, hands down. And, like, in some cases, it's not even close. Like, being an NHL defenseman, I can't even imagine what goes through one's mind trying to be that person. Like it's an extremely difficult position to play. And, you know, when I look back at the Duncan Keith acquisition, I think, you know, well, Kenny Holland probably like looked at, you know, one of the things a good general manager does is they avoid as much attrition as possible. They avoid losing the player, the good players they have as much as possible. And he did a good, really good job of signing Nuge. I love the number. I love the Nuge, Nuge forever. But it really, it really fucking blows that we lost Adam Larson. And that's a case of attrition where you just, you know, like in like in uh, you know the uh, Republican armies of Napoleonic France, there's a certain number of soldiers that just like desert or die or leave, and they just don't have those soldiers anymore. And you got to replace them. You got to train new soldiers, or you got to hire some mercenaries. And he probably looked at the free agent crop and he thought, well, you know, like the only pretty good defenseman I really have a chance at is Cody CC, who's pretty good, but like, fuck, man. And he was like, well, I guess like yeah, I should get Keith. And people will malign it. I mean, the cap number sucks. But we gave up Caleb Jones, who's still looks to be somewhat of a bubble player. You know, no disrespect to him. I love him. He was a good soldier for us. Um, I don't know, man. But like the defense is just a question mark. I still think Duncan Keith is going to voluntarily retire and just go and coach his son's like hockey team or some shit. Because why the, fu- why, the, why the fuck would he want to stay another year? Why the fuck would he want to stay? And why does like there's no way that Holland didn't get. You know, it, there's not a person on earth that didn't sit and, and say that Holland didn't use his leverage and Holland didn't, you know, make the right deal. And it, I, I almost wonder up. if there isn't just yeah. something we don't know. And if the fact is like, he's like, hey, man, like, I, I'm going to retire at the end of this year. You know, I, totally. I'll go over to totally. BC. And then Holland knows that that cap is going, your cap space is going back to Chicago next year. Then. Maybe that deal makes a little more sense. A little more sense. You Guaranteed. Talk about giving up Caleb Jones, whatever. I I, I appreciate Caleb. I, I love everything he did. Uh, great. I, that's not even the issue. It's the fact that we paid him full price. But the part that's bothering me more and more in the situation that we're in is the fact that he tied up his our second and third round pick. You know, by by making those 
picks frozen in, yeah. in not knowing which one it was going to be because they're conditional, it, it really handcuffs in us being able to make a deal when we need to make one right now. The conditional draft pick is like the collateralized debt obligation of hockey. It's like, it's like, it should be really abolished. It's really volatile and difficult to manage and kind of insane that that's even a thing. I mean, supposedly when they sign the new CBA, whatever, um, after COVID to get back playing again, I heard there was, there was people talked about, oh, they're doing away with conditional picks, but like, yeah, the fact that the Oilers hands are tied in terms of really, really needing one or two or three good pieces to add by or before the trade line trade deadline. And they're, and they can't do it because of the, these bullshit conditional picks goes to show like how insane it is that that's even a thing. Like we didn't have conditional picks up until very recently, the same way they didn't have the fucking department of Homeland security or uh, what are they called? Ice immigration and customs enforcement. Mm-hmm. One of the, the worst named law enforcement organizations. And I respect people <laughs> in law enforcement. I respect people that are able to say the words law enforcement with respect, you know, people that have worked in law enforcement know what that means. And, you know, people listening that are in law enforcement will understand what I say when I say that, but uh, ice, they really should call it something else. So here's, I mean, like, look, if it was a uh, conditional second, I mean, Holland, Holland's not going to trade a second anyway. So what does it really matter? Like he's not going to, he, he's not going to trade that now. He's, he's basically, you know, he's, he's after his presser, he said, he's, you know, he's looking at the future, right? Like he's, he's going to develop the team. He's a, he's a development guy. Right. So I, you know what, that, that pick has to me, it's of little consequence based on Holland's strategic direction with this team, which, you know, everybody, you know, nobody really fully knows right now. I mean, Holland's Holland's idea right now is that he's got to find something at no cost. Right. And so Michael, are, you uh, well, saying I mean, that, are you saying that you think that it's irrelevant that he gave a pick because he wouldn't have traded well, it anyways? I think it's because awful. You know, like, I think it's awful. I'm just saying like, it's, it's not like worth Holland discussing about picks, it, man. He gave out two second picks for Anthony. C. He gave out second picks for Mike green. Like, yeah, he, but he, guys said, that, he said, he's not going to do it now. Right? Like this is not his, well, he, has, he doesn't have a choice whether he can do it or now. Mike, they're, they're, I agree with Dash on this one. Yeah. At a certain point you have no choice because this, this isn't a team that can just shit the bed on another season and get a top five pick. Exactly. Like that's, that's over. If that's not over, why I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hey, I, I, I apologize we for all French, agree on that. We all agree. Why on the that? fuck would McDavid no and Dreisaitl stay? Why would they fucking stay? Right. If, if this team shits the bed on this season, it's the precursor to those guys leaving. And I'm sorry, that's the kind of shit that's going to take us all five to 10 years to get over it, my friends. So we, like if, if we miss the playoffs by like 10 or 20 points this year, and you know, I'm saying I still have hope. I think we can go on a little run here. I'm looking forward to the, to win number three, please. And thank you. Um, but uh, you know, the clock Michael, is ticking. I'm not saying that he can't, that he won't. I'm saying he can't. That's yeah, no, it, no, I, is, know, I know. I know he can't. Totally. I know he can't. I'm on I, what I'm saying, and I think you know we're all kind of arguing a little bit of the same thing, right? Is what I'm saying is he's not going to, right? Like he said, he wouldn't wouldn't do that, right? Like he's not he doesn't want to mortgage any of the future of this organization for a goal. Doesn't matter whether he said he would or wouldn't or not. He can't legally. He can't. Yeah, he no, can't I know, I know, but it's frozen. Like what do you, I don't understand? Like he yeah. gives up seconds all the time. He gives up seconds for nothing. 
Well, my, the, my the funny point the, is, is, yeah. is, 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 you know, we're talking about something that really is academic anyway, right? Like he wasn't going to do it. He can't do it. So, you know, whether or not, you know, it's like it was a shitty deal. The, I disagree. The, the I Keith, think if he had his Keith second round pick, was, he would use it. I think he would be dangling that right now. I think he has to. He doesn't want to give up. It was the first still a shitty deal, and we agree with. on that. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But I got yeah. yeah. Makes like, it worse. It makes it incredibly worse because we're handcuffed as a result. I think I think we're totally handcuffed, and I think someone said uh, I can't remember. Who, I think it was Mike. He's trying to acquire something for no cost, which, you know, if, if people were able to do that, I got news for you, the whole economy of the world would be different. I mean, it's almost like such an old school way of thinking. It's like when you go and acquire overseas colonies and just pull the fucking minerals out of the earth with like people's bare hands and then ship it back to Spain. Like Kenny Holland is an old school GM. And I will, I do want to give him credit though, because I really feel as though he did stop the bleeding organizationally with this writhing about and just looking for like i don't know if you guys remember but literally every year there was a new prospect that was going to be the savior there was a new prospect who was the prospect that year who's going to come in and make a difference and every year we had a new prospect that sometimes would come in and be good sometimes would be coming and be pretty good like sam gagne or someone like that but a lot of years you know they would they would wilt under the lights you know what i mean and and he stopped the bleeding in the sense of we got to be a little more reserved with bringing guys up and be a little more willing to play players in the ahl a little bit more and i think bouchard's probably benefited from that and i think other players in the organization have probably benefited from that but we do need a new gm who can bring new ideas and not kind of um just do things like ken holland is doing i mean he's not winning trades the Oilers are a team and an organization that need to win some trades to have a chance, given everything working against them. I mean, forget COVID, which, I mean, that's the funny thing about Ken Holland's tenure. He, the, the first year of COVID was the year he really bet on the team going deep in the playoffs. He was like, okay, fuck it. I'm all in. Mike Green, Athanasiu, let's go. Uh, I think Kulikov as well, right? And that's going to go down Manning. in history. Brendan Manning, that's going to go down in history. <laughs> Uh, well, that was Shirelli, wasn't it? Yeah. It but the, that's going to go down in history as the worst possible time in NHL history to go all into the deadline and trade futures for players because Mike Green played, what, six games? Yeah, again, we, we all turned into extras in a shittier version of 12 Monkeys without the charismatic performance of Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe. Oh, and a great supporting performance by Brad Pitt. If I do recall correctly, that was actually a bit of a signpost in the career of Brad Pitt, where people are like, oh, Brad Pitt's actually a pretty good actor. Did you see him in 12 Monkeys? <laughs> like, like, it was the shittiest time to go all in. And he didn't probably, he probably didn't really know that that was going to happen. I don't think anyone had any way of knowing. It was mostly great. just unlucky, but we don't have the, we don't, we don't have any of that, any of that stuff now. You know what I mean? And he's just not winning trades. And this, this team needs a GM who's able to win trades against all odds. I really don't see us being viable without that. It's it's a sad fact. Well, they haven't even. I mean, they haven't even looked for a GM that will win trades, right? Like that. That's not the kind of guy they were. They were looking for Ken Holland, right? Like this is. You know, it's it's been the argument for a long time, right? That we're moving guys too fast in the organization. Uh, so when Ken Holland became available, I mean, he was a natural choice for this team. Right. Totally. And I really think he, yeah. he did actually stop the bleeding. I mean, he stopped the bleeding by trading away Milan Lucic, which I'll always say that just had to happen. That was, that was, that was the first step on a journey to turning things around. Oh yeah. That, I, that like, roster that was that, that, that I got that flames fan friends that say that's a, a win for Calgary. I say it's a win. Sure. 
You can argue. Right. You can, you, yeah, you can yeah. argue that. I'd say it's a um, win-win. I say, but I'd he's like also we had to get rid of him, right? Who has he had the entire time he's been GM at the Edmonton Oilers as well? Miko Koskinen, a goalie who is a really good person. I really think the team is behind him and cheering for him. I think we're all cheering for him. We appreciate the work he's done. But when uh, like the NHL is like being at war. It's it's pure competition. It's like war without all the horrible things the war actually entails. It's kind of like a bullshit war with no consequences. Whereas war itself is actually like totally horrific, but like these teams are in competition with each other. So if you're the 31st or 30th or 32nd best goaltender in the NHL starting goaltender, that's just, that's just something that you're going to be, you know, it's unfortunate. It's difficult. It's emotionally draining for everyone involved. Um, But that's kind of like, like we've had, he's had that Miko contract the whole time. So he's been unable to basically trade that for anything other than something insane. You know, there's some team that has asked him to take on something insane or acquire something insane to get rid of Miko. Um, but, you know, he's just also an old school GM who has a lot of merit. I think, I think he's a good hockey man in the sense of like those people from that generation are good hockey men, but like, damn, if this team is not like crying out for like, they should make fucking Tyler Dello the GM of the Oilers. Oh. Like, I don't, I don't fucking care. Did you guys ever read <laughs> Tyler Dello? I think he works oh, yeah. for the, yeah, yeah. for the devils. Yeah. Tyler Dello for GM should be the name of this episode because like, that's what they need. They need someone who does not give a fuck and is, is going to actually apply every possible strategy they can. That's cutting edge and contemporary and not based on kind of cliches and tribal knowledge of things that have worked for a really long time. So we're not going to change them. Like yeah, the old hockey mean, mentality yeah. is like, is like feudalism. It's sure. It was better than what came before. But what comes after? Yeah, I mean, I look. I've, you know, you're uh, not a, a Dello uh, fan, but um, I mean, there are guys that have have done done that. You know, gone to organizations, you know, and tried to change the world and how they did it. Isn't that what Chica right. did? In yeah, that's what I was going to say. Chica <laughs> is one. Uh, um, and look at, you know, look at uh, our guys uh, here to the east of Edmonton in, in Toronto, right? Like, you know, he's all in and uh, they still haven't made it past the first round. But Toronto's he's a, too he's far. He's made a hell of a hell of a team, a regular season team, but he's he's not made a playoff team. So T- Toronto's you know, taking it way too far. Like so many of Dubas's moves are just like way over the top that it's just like, OK, dude, like. That's too much, you know, like Marlowe. There's numerous examples, kind of just like having a super top heavy roster, giving out tons of money to the star forwards. Like, yeah, but, but uh, I mean, I mean Bunting, like, I'm not, who, I'm not saying who saw Bunting happening, right? Like, but, I, well, but my point is, right, you need somebody, you know, a little they bit did. in the middle, right? Like, you know, it, like, uh, there's, there, there are guys that are, you know, both really good traditional hockey guys that understand the power of analytics. And if you don't get somebody sure. that's firmly in the middle of that, uh, then, you know, you're, you're doomed to fail both ways. You're doomed to fail the way the Oilers are like they, you know, they've got to be, uh, I mean, and I can't say for sure. Cause I, you know, I don't have any ties in directly into the organization, but everything that ever comes out of there is that they've got one of the worst analytics departments. In fact, that guy, uh, used to be the radio host there. That's on Twitter. He said, uh, his comment was that he had a, he had some insight into their analytics and, uh, they'd be better off just looking at Dom's, uh, Dom's, you know, 
uh, report on the athletic, right? Like, you know, it's that bad in the Oilers organization. Right. And they, so, mean, yeah, so they I need mean, somebody halfway, yeah. right? They need somebody halfway. Totally. But it's got to be an organizational agree. thing, too. Right. Like when people say get rid of uh, Bobby Nix, like that's part of it. Right. Like it's got to be an oh, organizational for sure. thing. I'm, right? I'm really skeptical on Bobby Nix because and it's really come into full 2020 view recently, given that we just played Florida and, and the Florida GM who's turned that who's done some really great things with that team and is kind of that guy in the middle you're referring to was being interviewed by the organization at the time. And then as soon as Kenny Holland became available, Bobby Nicholson was just like, oh, fuck, yeah, Kenny Holland, let's go. Fuck all these other people. You know, like we lost out on that guy because we trusted, um, you know, the steady hand who, you know, I kind of feel the same way about Dave Tippett. It's like if Dave Tippett was a contractor and came to your house and was building some stairs, Dave Tippett would build those stairs properly. He'd build those stairs right. You could trust Dave Tippett. He's old school. He believes in the work. He's, 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 he's legit, you know, which to be honest, if you ever hired a contractor is actually a really rare thing. Like you'd be calling that person all the time if you met that guy and if think of Kenny Hall in the same way, but, but it's like analytics beyond just the analytics. It's like for a Canadian franchise of any kind of any of any of the Canadian franchises, even just beyond the Oilers for any of them to win the cup, they need to be thinking outside the box and kind of having almost like a Mao Zedong total war strategy where they're just doing everything they can in every fucking crazy way to overcome the inherent disadvantages of, of being a Canadian franchise, which are numerous. There's numerous disadvantages facing not only the Oilers, but everyone else in a, in a, in a, a league where it's, you know, it's a game of attrition there. We're just, even if we get better, if we're not getting better as fast or faster than the other teams are getting better, we're fucked. You know, guys, this leads me into something I've been wanting to talk about for a little while, and we don't have a lot of time left. We'll go probably about another 15 minutes. But no, let's go for a lot of, but uh, yeah, we, we and in most nights we could. Uh, a lot of times and recently of late, right? Like, you know, and, and Oilers fans are always under the gun for being, uh, you know, quote unquote toxic fans. They talk about, you know, uh, players coming here being really under the microscope. I went and watched, uh, you know, right now the NFL playoffs are going on. I've watched, you know, the playoffs. There are guys uh, and the NBA is the same. NFL, NBA, Major League Ball. Like there are guys that gravitate to the markets where fans are there, right? Where fans are are out there and talking to them and uh, criticizing them. And, and that's where the guys want to be, right? Like they want to go where fans care about them. I um, uh, who's the guy? The um, he was a GM before, and he uh, he's on Stoffer's show uh, quite often. Brian Lawton. Yeah, Brian Lawton. Brian Lawton said he hated it in uh, Tampa when he was in Tampa because you know nobody cared, right? Like nobody cared mm-hmm. that uh, you know he had um, it was he was there during you know a little bit of a depression. And, uh, and nobody cared what he did with the team. And he said it made it hard. Right. And so, you know, what is it about hockey players, (laughs) right? That this has become a thing, right. That, that if we, you know, if we talk about McDavid or we talk about Koskinen, that it's a thing, right? Like there, there are guys that, you know, uh, uh, today we're talking about the Elks off, offline. 
Victor Kui gets on. He's the new president and CEO. And he's on, uh, he was on Jesperson. And he says, I don't look at it as criticism. I look at it as people care, right? Like that I, you know, it, it's, when they, it's when they stop talking that I've got something to worry about. And, and frankly, right, like if you're winning, it's not criticism anymore. It's, you know, <laughs> right, like it's other things, but the franchise isn't winning. So, it, you know, it seems like criticism and it is criticism. Let's be real. I guess I don't want to, <laughs> you know, that's what it is. But people care. Like Oilers fans care. So what yeah. is it about hockey fans that that's a big deal, that people want to get out of that kind of environment? Or, or is that just, you know, maybe that's Eastern media trying to find another way to uh, put down the Edmonton Oilers organization and, and something. I, like, I think some of that stems from some jealousy over all the first round picks and then the, the history of having, you know, Gretzky and Messier and coffee and all of those things. I think there's, whether they'll admit to it or not, there's a ton of jealousy there, right? And there always will be, right? Um, and, and getting those first round picks didn't matter. But what is it with hockey players? Like, is that, is that legit? Uh, do they care that, you know, they're under the gun here, like under the microscope? Do you think you go, Connor you should, McDavid like, gets up? And, I feel and like you should go like first, Dash. I think it depends on the player. Um, you know, we're, we're all built a little differently. Uh, I think there's some people that don't read the internet. I think there's some people that don't read the comments and stay off Twitter. And I think there's others that are, you know, completely, you know, in, in, engulfed with it and, and completely, you know, like you listen to Joaquin Gage talk about it and he said he used to look all the time and, and, uh, it was hard and he got to a point where he would only look after good games because he was hoping somebody would say something nice, but you know, there's clearly smoke where there's fire, like where there's, where there's smoke, there's fire, pardon me. And, um, Larson left town, bear left town, Pronger left town, Pekka left town. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's something to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like I've mentioned before, um, the, the things working against the Canadian franchises. And I mean, for people that live in Edmonton, if we're listening, you know, I think sometimes I just think, if it wasn't fucking minus 35 outside guys and players didn't have to eat shit from the fan base, whenever things went bad, like it would be one thing if it was minus 35 outside and the fan base was generally behind you and amicable and there was comedy between the two of you. But when it's minus 35 and they're just like, wow, like, like you suck. And we're going to point out all the ways you suck. And we're going to, we're going to question and speculate on all the things that are wrong with things constantly. Um, it's a thing. And I think uh, Dash, you were saying like we uh, like. I think you used a phrase like a different kind of person or a different kind of player. I think one of the things they need to do in this kind of total war effort to, to turn over every stone, and something I think they did with Zach Hyman is find a different kind of player, a different kind of person who actually appreciates what the kind of like spiritual and social and cultural and sports ceiling is, what the ceiling is of being the Oilers when they're successful, because that's a wild ride. You know, like you said, Lawton said it was a total drag when people just didn't give a shit, right? No. So you need to find Zach Hyman, and he is a different kind of. I mean, he's a different kind of player. I'll tell you that thing. Like, I'll tell you one thing. Like the way he plays the game, the way he battles for the puck, the way he protects the puck, the way he's on top of the puck at all times is a wonder to behold. But he's also a different kind of person. I mean, he's a children's author. To be a children's author, you're taking time out of your day to think about a way to tell an interesting and uplifting and enlightened story to people that are under 10 
And you're devoting yourself to that effort just to kind of help people and explore what it means to do that for someone else. And Zach Hyman is a special kind of player and they, they need to continue to find and continue to find more players that are resilient to the fucking, it's like the Lord of the Rings. Like you don't, the only certain hobbits are resilient against the evil of the ring of power. There's only certain players that are resilient to the, the, the microscope. Like it's the microscope of microscopes. I mean, the only one that's bigger is Toronto. And I think that's why Dubas has kind of has gone off the rails sometimes in his moves. Um, but, you know, like if you find players that don't mind, don't mind the microscope and can appreciate what, what it's like to be on that team when they're winning and when they're going deep in the playoffs, a la 2006, which is a long time ago, but still feels fresh. You know, like I, honestly, if we can go on a run here, the playoffs are still very much in consideration. And if we can make the playoffs, and if Kenny Holland can defy expectations and actually win a couple of fucking trades before the deadline here, we, like the season will not only be saved, but we'll appreciate the success so much more, having gone through the kind of Dante's Inferno esque hell of December and and most of January up to this point. Yeah, I, the the challenge for me, anyway, is I mean we've been we've been going through this for so long to be at this point where we're talking about if we're making the playoffs, that's a failure in and of itself. Oh no. It's like, it's like being, being two years into a marriage and having agreed that, you know, she would no longer go ski doing with her ex on your birthday. And it just happens. It still happens. Like for the third year in a row, you're just like, what the fuck? Like you said, when we got married, you agreed you'd stop fucking going out with your ex on my birthday bitch i mean i'm sorry pardon my french or like dude like there's a lot of shitty boyfriends out there too a lot of shitty partners of all types and sizes <laughs> all right so we're we're, we're past at, the point we, we should be past the point of being like are we are we still rebuilding this team <laughs> like we shouldn't even be thinking that we're about rebuilding anymore That's which right. is why kenny holland probably should just you know pour pour canadian club whiskey and just trade that fucking first rounder for a goalie because in sports terms, he has a gun to his fucking head right now. Like Nico had an amazing it. game last game, and he played pretty well tonight. But Kenny Holland has a gun to his head in terms of like saving the season by getting a goalie. I mean, Kenny Holland isn't the right. He isn't the right kind of GM to put a gun to a head. No. Like I think part of the problem in all of this is the fact that we hired a GM, and you know, you talked about the fact that you know Bob Nicholson was interviewing Bill Zito. Um, the GM in Florida now and and it was he was leading the charge until he threw the entire process out the window to to go to back to the old boys club and hire Holland and I think like you said so many things over the course of this podcast that just keep like making this big red beacon on my head go off and the fact like I'm making notes here he doesn't win trades um you know he thinks he can buy all these lottery tickets like Gaetan Haas and and Perlini and whoever else that, you know, Turris and all these things that he doesn't make trades and win them. He, he goes and tries to get players and finds diamonds in the rough every so once in a while. And the ones that he doesn't, he just tosses because they weren't really worth an investment. He didn't have to give up anything to get them. We got the wrong kind of GM at the wrong fucking time. I will, we got I, a guy I, 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 that I was agree. supposed to develop a team and and keep people in the A and let them ripen. We needed that when we hired Shirelli, but but the, instead we hire Shirelli and we you know 
that was supposed to be the draft development rebuild so that we had something in place for Connor and for Leon. And now we're at a point where we've got the most patient GM in the history of GMs with a gun to his head. Like that's a conundrum all in itself, you guys. We, we, we don't have the right GM in the right place at the right time. I, I, I almost completely 100% agree. I will say, like, I don't think Kenny Holland is the right GM for this team at this time. I think that's something that we've only realized now. Um, sure. It, it was probably I'd clear. But it, it was probably clear to point. some earlier than that. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. It doesn't change the point. And I think I'll go back to what I said before in terms of stopping the bleeding. Like, I think, you know, even though Shirelli, I mean, he didn't fucking win trades. Let's get that out of the way right now. But Shirelli did one thing in terms of being like, oh, like, you guys don't really have like proper like hockey hockey ops department set up and a proper like farm system set up. That's a little weird. I mean, you're an NHL team, right? Like, you know, like hockey ops and develop player development and uh, having like a solid, like way that you're managing your minor team is actually really important, important for an NHL franchise. So we did set that up and I, you know, I give Keith Gretzky a lot of credit there too um, among others. Uh, so he stopped, the, he stopped the bleeding there in a way. And I think Kenny Holland did come in and stop the bleeding in the sense that he inherited a team with Milan Lucic on the roster. He had a team with Miko Koskinen freshly signed to a big fat contract. And organizationally, the High Priest of Oilers Magic at High Priest Oil, you should follow him on Twitter for the listeners if you don't, my co-host, he said like, it's really been like decades where this organization has not appreciated and prioritized goaltending. Like how, like, how do we think we're not going to win in the playoffs, let alone accomplish anything else without, you know, Frankly, two really solid fucking goaltenders. You need two. And they're two of the most important players on your roster. Probably the two most important players on your roster, bar none. And organizationally, I mean, you know, sans Devin Dupnik, who basically got wrote out of town, what have we done organizationally to develop and, and besides that, procure our own goaltenders? Well, we've had good goaltenders come through Edmonton. <laughs> like, you know, that's the, that's the thing, right? And... um you know, this this is we're getting mad at Holland, we're getting mad at Tippett, we're getting mad at Nicholson. Like the reality is it's an organizational problem, right? Like it is a Nicholson problem. It's you know, it's it goes every which way. And and the reality is is this it's like everybody in the world sees trends with this team, right? And except the organization itself. And the organization sees the trend. Once it's not a trend anymore, once the train's already hit the station, right? Once the train's already there, yeah. like this, like right now, right? Yeah, we've won two in a row. Does that mean we've turned our season around? No, like, you know, I, you know, I said, I don't, <laughs> I don't have profanity. Not even a little bit, lots, man. Yeah, exactly. It, we're it means, still weak in defense. We're it still means like, nothing, yeah. right? And yet, and yet, you know, we're, what are we doing? Are we going to, now are we going to wait until we lose two or three more before we make some kind of meaningful change to this team? Whether it's, you know, goaltending, defense, uh, finding somebody like, what are we waiting on, right? Like, what are and what have we been waiting on for years, right? Like you talk about goaltending is is a key thing. Like we had Wallstedt in our sights. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and, we were and, the bridesmaid for Markstrom, which is no defense. Like you should have yeah. fucking give Mon- you should have fucking given Markstrom the extra. You like you fucking kidding me? Rather than see him go to fucking Calgary, you didn't give Markstrom the extra year. Are you a fucking madman? Like I'm it sorry, it wasn't the extra sure. year. Didn't he take? Uh, I think he took six by six instead of seven by five. Yeah, and and 
And it was it was less years. He took got, less years uh, to go to Calgary. We had we had Talbot, but uh, challenges uh, in challenges in keeping him consistent, right? But he seems to have found that consistency when he goes someplace else, right? Like he would at well, least they, have been a solid backup. My point being, though, is and we've talked about it on here is is you know most teams wouldn't wait with their goal, goaltending coach this long. Right, I like mean, it's sure. it's a trend. It's a trend. We can, th- right? we can throw Dustin. Trend. We can throw Dustin Schwartz under the bus. Um, no, you you don't have to throw him under the bus. The, the reality is, is our goaltending's just not good enough. Well, when you know what I actually are here, tri- and they yeah. don't go, they don't, and they go someplace else, and they do better. I'll tell you what I attribute it to. Then though. you don't. But but here's the thing, though. You don't. You don't say, uh, hey. <laughs> It's it's like sales, right? Like, yeah, if you if you hit your quota year over year, you got a job. But if you don't hit your quota, you know you could cry all you want to your boss that you didn't have the tools or you didn't have whatever. You're still going to be out on the out on the street, right? I'm so and glad. Frankly, you this, this is this is so this is right Schwartz's now. quota. Schwartz's quota is to have <laughs> decent goaltending, and he should be out on the street because uh. we've not had it. And, and I, you know what, he's probably a great goaltending coach and I've heard all sorts of things from <laughs> different people on whether he's good, whether he's bad, whether it matters, but you know, years ago, Montreal was having all of these injuries, right? This is, goes back probably 15 years ago. They fired all the training staff, right? And uh, you have to have a whip. You have to have heads have to roll. You need a, you need a blood sacrifice. I think that's yeah, kind yeah. of what the short, that's kind of how I read the short stuff. Like, whether or not Dustin Schwartz is uh, the best or the worst or in the middle of goaltending coaches, exactly. this is the thing. This is part of the microscope of being a Canadian market. This is part of the microscope of being Edmonton. Mm-hmm. We're always, we always have to find someone to blame. Like, I don't know if you guys watch Kids in the Hall. There's a great sketch called Who's to Blame? Search YouTube for Kids in the Hall. Search to, uh, Who's to Blame? And really, like, one of the only ways that we're able to have a catharsis as Oilers fans through all the frustration is to find something to blame. And that's actually, once we find someone to blame, we actually get some kind of release. Now, in terms of goaltending, what I would attribute a big part of the problem to is it's a microscope market. So everything I said about having to find a different kind of player um, to come to the market applies tenfold for a goaltender, a goaltender that wants to come to a Canadian market and can handle being under the microscope of a Canadian market. Being a goaltender is a crazy fucking endeavor. You have to be half insane. You have to be like a race car driver mentality to be a goaltender, someone who's driven by ambition and wild passions and gets caught up in the moment and lives for a thrill. Right. So doing that shit under a microscope has got to be next to fucking impossible. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and in a way, and I'm glad you brought this up because I actually think as much as I criticize Vancouver Canucks fans for various uh, property crimes and other sins, one thing they're amazing at, and one thing we saw on display tonight is they're amazing at cheering for their goaltender. They have a lot of practice at it and they cheered like hell for their goaltender tonight in a way that Oilers fans are never really have never de- demonstrated they're capable of. And I think, you know, I, I kind of I kind of said to the high priest on our last episode, I don't really buy the whole like there's a, there's always this storyline that oh the team is playing their backup goaltender or they're playing their third string fourth string twentieth string goaltender the Oilers have a great chance to win this and every time I hear that I just think to myself well guaranteed that goaltender is going to have a great game because that's what happens every time I hear someone say that literally I don't know if it's ever happened otherwise so of course he looked great I don't even know his name what was his fucking name <laughs> the Vancouver goalie McKinnon or Skinner or 
Miller? Miller. No, no it was... Uh, I mean, he looked like yeah. insane. And he was Rondo. like... Yeah, yeah. Like, like some guy, like some Phillies goalie from the 70s and doing all kinds of crazy shit, you know, like playing the puck. Uh, <laughs> it's it's. Martin. I can't remember what my original point was, but someone feel free to jump in here. Yeah, just, so, I mean, you said a couple of things. One is... Cheer you know, for the, like, we can't cheer for the goalie in a way that makes it easy to be a goalie. I mean, let alone... I, I, but I think we've cheered and, for goalies. I mean, we cheered Talbot when he was uh, making the last playoff run with us, right? Like, we, you know, I think you cheer goalies when they start pulling... Like, the thing Edmonton hasn't had, uh, you know, in, in 15 years... Have developed it goalie, that's the real problem. Yeah, we haven't, and and Dash has done the work on that to to tell you that you know the only way you win is through development development of goalies, and we haven't done that. And so that's it. You know, that's an organizational thing for one, right? Like it has to start somewhere. And uh, well, like and, trying to know, have a hockey team without doing that. that is just batshit crazy. Yeah, Here, let me jump into that, Michael. Let me yeah, tell you what I found out. So Isaac, there's go back to all the Stanley Cup winners. Starting last year, all like Tampa, Tampa, and keep going back. You have to go all the way back to Patrick Waugh to find a Stanley Cup winning goaltender where the team did not develop that goalie in house. There's two in the last 30 X years Tim Thomas and Patrick Waugh. Of all the Flurries, of all the Crawfords, of all the Vashlaskis, of all the Murrays, of all the, every single one of them was a homegrown goalie. So you sure. want to talk about how much this organization has overlooked goaltending? Look no further than that, my friend. I mean, it's it's tr- like exactly, exactly, and that makes perfect sense to me. Like trying to have a hired gun come in to be your goalie, um, you know, one thing. Everybody the, the, said, the, oh, we're going to bring in Hulak or Gudobin. Exactly, or exactly. Like, what is that really But do? like, did did Napoleon hire like mercenaries to fight his wars? No, he 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 completely reformed and modernized the French military into a force unknown. To human civilization up to that point you know an army that could move fast an army that didn't just desert at 10 percent a year no matter what you fucking did you know an army that could outmarch the opposition you can't bring in a goalie you can't hire mercenaries to win your war you need to be developing that shit from the ground up and and you know maybe schwartz is part of that problem but really it comes down to draft drafting and development like i don't know what have other franchises done to draft and develop great goal goaltenders, yeah, are there examples had, we can look we've to? We've had guys that have been drafted and developed. Oh, and I can answer yeah, that. Yeah, and then Craig yeah. Mctavish said, "If you have to ask the question, then you know the answer." You yeah. know, and then Dubnik was done. Like Dubnik could still be the fucking starting goaltender for the Oilers if we didn't right, run him out of town. That's entirely within the realm of possibility. I mean, whatever, whatever. He, was on on he never got one single offer, not a minimum wage offer this year, not one single offer. Yeah, but I mean, trying to get a. I mean, signing as a goaltender, there's only 64 jobs, right? So yeah. being on that bubble, that's a big bubble. There's a big bubble for those guys. I don't, it's, yeah. such a, it's such a kind of schizophrenic position to try and like understand, but I 100% agree. Like, Who was like, our goaltending coach when we had uh, JDD in? I don't know, man. I mean, fuck. Like, they, we've had goalies come through the system. They just, you know, we've never, we've well, never we need done to draft right better goalies then. If that's the, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I don't really know. That's the other thing. There's no real logic around drafting goalies right now. It used to be, hey, we'll draft Rick DiPietro like super high. Yeah. Draft a goalie super high. It's awesome. And then teams just kind of stopped doing that. But also, it's like this question mark. Like, I don't know who was the top drafted goalie last year, probably like 15th, 16th overall, something like that. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? uh, um, And then finding places. Kosa. Sebastian Kosa. And then finding places for your goalies to play is like a weird thing. The whole psychology of being a goaltender is kind of its own thing. I think they probably need like fucking hire three goaltender coaches or three people that are involved in goaltending development. Cause I, you know, it's, it's, there's two goaltenders and it's also one of the most specialized positions available in the realm of employment, let alone sports, like being, being an NHL goaltender, you know, like what was going through, what was going through Nikolai Habibulin's mind when, uh, when they were drilling holes in the bottom of his skates. So he don't pull over, don't pull over. And and he just finished like (laughs) 10 pots of coffee pregame and like two packs of cigarettes. And he was just like, where, where's this fucking team that I'm playing for? I don't know. I'm making Nikolai Habibulin. I don't give a shit. Like, can you imagine if like a Breeze Galoff came on this team? Like speaking of a specific type of player, we almost need like a Breeze Galoff-esque personality in a weird way. Like someone who's just on well, like a whole different level. Mike Smith. Mike, Mike, Smith, Mike, Mike Smith is kind of in that mode. mode. Unfortunately, we're getting him at the yeah, twilight of his career, yeah. you know? And he's Mike, totally all the time. great point. Mike Smith is ex- exactly, exactly my point. Mike Smith brought so much. Mike Smith brought alluded- so much. You alluded to the fact that there's some sort of mystery in developing goalies, though. And I, and I believe you to some certain extent, Isaac, but at the end of the day, like, look at the success of Ben Wilder in, in New York and, yeah. you know, Sean Burke in Arizona. And it didn't matter with the Rangers whether it was Henrik Lundqvist, Andy Ranta, uh, Cam Talbot, Shastrikin, Georgiev, you name it. Look at Arizona as a goaltending factory. There, that's not an accident. Oh, for sure. And I totally agree. And we're definitely organizationally behind the other great powers. I mean, really like almost like the whole fucking league. But just it all boils down to one thing. Organizationally, we're behind in a lot of areas. Yeah, we're like the Ottoman Empire. is one of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like we're not going to inevitably decline. We're just not we're just not progressing at the velocity we need to to be competitive with the 19th century. I asked the question, though, the other day to, you know, people like if, you know, like saying, hey, I've, you know, I've thought about not cheering for this team a whole bunch of times in my life because I was just fed up right in the last, you know, 15 years and and they're empty promises. But, you know, is that the challenge with this organization? Is it that, you know, people will continue to buy tickets no matter what they do, right? That there's, it's never bad enough that people will stop caring about the Oilers. Whereas, well, I mean, clearly it doesn't matter in Arizona or Florida. What do you think, Dash? I mean, (laughs) I don't know the answer either. Like Schwartz is a disciple of these guys. He comes from the school of the head trajectory and everything that these guys teach. So the success isn't there the same way it is with his, you know, with his mentors. So I, I don't know. There's something missing, guys. I mean, we're behind in analytics. We're behind in goaltending scouting. We've historically been behind in amateur scouting. We've historically been behind in professional scouting. You know, we've, we've lucked out getting Connor McDavid and Buffalo not taking Dreisaitl. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's another thing High Priest Oil pointed out. Like, we've, it's not as though this team was built. We just fucking sucked really bad for a long time and lucked into some great players like oh man high priest it's still it's still taking some time like i don't know man like i've thought of like when you mentioned cheering about cheering for other teams like uh, if if evander kane signs with the oilers the high priest is going to quit the show so i might have to stop doing handkerchief dynasty and i've proposed my next podcast might be called Dynasty of the Sun, and it'll be a Florida hockey podcast, mostly focused on the Panthers. 
little bit of t- checking in with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and the Gators, you know, go, go, go Gators. <laughs> like, it, honestly, if, if the organization doesn't realize how precarious things are, and like this season is so fucking important right now. Like at least if they don't, if they don't make the playoffs, they at least have to have a good innings, so to speak, as the British would say. If they don't at least make a game of it, I think Nicholson's gone. I think Kenny Holland has to potentially be gone. And Tippett, his contract will be done by then. So who the fuck cares? The thing about Tippett that I love is he's one of the few coaches that actually kind of still coaches a team after he's gone. We called it ghost coach on the podcast. Like the Arizona Coyotes still kind of played Dave Tippett hockey after he left for a little while. So even if, even if we have another coach, I don't know, Jay Woodcroft would be a prime candidate. I think um, we'll still have a little bit of the like plus one to agility from, uh, from the Dave Tippett years. Um, and I, I got no personal animus towards Dave Tippett. Like even if we lose, I mean, God forbid, say we lose another five games after this, I think we're actually going to go on a streak. You know, they'll, maybe Kenny Holland will actually look at the gun to his head and actually fire Tippett. But so the here, problem here's is the other problem. thing. Problem is, is, this, is this Fire team going to be so happy? Anything. Are we going to be so happy that we just made the playoffs that if we're out again in the first round, that we're all right with that? Well, that's where we're headed. <laughs> so. well, yeah. It's kind of like yeah. to your question that I skirted an hour ago. That's yeah. where we're headed, Michael. I mean, if if we make the playoffs, we're out in the first round. We don't have the defense. We don't have the depth. We don't have the defensive acumen right now to be able to do anything in a consistent way in a hockey game. We're, we're outscoring our mistakes when we win. Bottom line, yeah, it's not and like giving we, up the first we, goal. Like giving up the first. If we go down two nothing in the playoffs, I'm sorry, gentlemen, but that's not a, that's not a winning strategy of the last in the fucking 17, NHL playoffs. Sixteen of the last seventeen games, twenty five out of twenty nine. Now it's, it's guys, it's it's, it's beyond the story. We, I think we've gone down two nothing, like eight out of the last ten. It's well, and, and the two it's games quantum we just singularity won, guys, at this point. The two games we just won. We came back from two nothing. Well, it doesn't like even that. But the two well, games saying. we just won are against non playoff teams right now, right? The totally. two games and, and the two the games out of us, you guys. and the two Calgary games prior to that. The two games we won prior. The last four games that we've won are against non playoff teams, and uh, and then anytime we've we've played anybody that's you know half good, they've beat us. And some of those non-playoff teams have beat us, like Ottawa and Seattle beat us uh, before the break. You know, this is um, right now. This you know, this team's not good enough. There's um, it's this is you know this goes back to this where the, their team is trending, and yet we're still waiting for some something to hit us in the you know oh, yeah. square in the face to say it's time to make a move. Oh, we're waiting. We're, some kind yeah. Of, yeah. we're we're at the casino looking at the slot machine. You know what I mean. And before the shit drops, we're, it's question marks, right? So we've yeah. huge question mark at goal. We have a huge question mark, quite frankly, still. Although I think it's not necessarily that far off of having a third line. The Oilers are not going to be a playoff team year in year out until they have a third fucking line. I'm sorry. Whatever, however it materializes, that has to be a thing. And then we have question marks of defense. So we're looking at three question marks and I'll give you some answers to some of those question marks. You know, someone like a McLeod, a Holloway, a Benson, a, a Burgo, a Lavoie could, could become the answer at forward, somehow be the straw that stirs the drink on something, or we play Nuge at third, third line center or whatever the fuck that might happen. Mm-hmm. Or we acquire, we, we acquire a player at defense. 
Maybe Duncan Keith turns it on and plays like a man possessed. Maybe CC goes from being totally steady Eddie above average, totally happy to have him at that number. Maybe he steps it up and actually starts to put some points up. Maybe Bouchard starts to iron out some of the rough edges to his defensive game and continues to advance his development on the defense, on the offensive side of the game. Maybe Broberg comes up next year and somehow is able to be better than Bouchard in that he can contribute with driving the play North but avoid some of the pitfalls of having uh, failings on his defensive side. But those are a lot of maybes. And Ken Holland or whoever the GM is in the, in the next little bit probably needs to look at some moves to address some of those shortcomings. And if they're not addressing also the deficiencies in their development system, a la goaltending or whatever the fuck else, I mean, they're, they're moving forward at their own peril, you know, because yeah. we'll find the next person to blame and eventually it will be them. Well, that's I mean, one thing that's a, that's that's you know. you know you've talked about that right like that we're always looking for a sacrifice. I've got zero problem with that, by the way. I mean, in in any other business, if it's not going the right way, people lose their job, right? Like you know, it's just it's the nature of business, and this should be looked at the exact same way. If it's not, I like this whole you know we've had seven coaches in however long. I don't give a shit if it's not going the right way. Then you get another one, right? Like there are there are successful organizations that are built on next man up, <laughs> right? Like this is if you're uh, willing to pay two coaches at the same time, Michael. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's part of it, I'm sure. But anyway, uh, guys, um, the, well, I'll, I'll say my last word and then, uh, maybe dash, you can, uh, uh, did we go? Did we go ninety nine minutes? Does does the ninety nine oh, yeah, podcast we've go ninety nine minutes? <laughs> yeah, that, that po- By the way, Dash, I should say really quick before we finish, like, uh, like I'll totally come on your show if you want uh, later this week or whatever, or you can come on mine. We should work it out. I just followed yeah. you online, so let's let's get on let's get on Mike soon, and then we won't have to uh, give uh, Mike the dearth of airtime. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I mean, really, he just kind of filled it with gas, anyways. That's, that's right. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. Honestly, well, like, I was, like, I was this, gonna this say... podcast is more together than like ninety nine percent of the podcasts <laughs> I've participated in in my life. So I'm just I'm just happy to be here. I'm like I'm like Brendan Perlini. I'm just super super stoked that I get to go on the plane and not on the bus. You scored a couple goals early, and now it's been a struggle. <laughs> Perlini could be a guy. I mean, that's the other thing. Like uh, the we're guy not getting into it. Preseason. We're, yeah, we're I mean, way like... past the point of the podcast. <laughs> that we can get into that. I was gonna say, uh, you know, uh, Shannon on uh, Facebook, who's still tuned in, he said, um, boy. Uh, "Management's used COVID and injuries for an excuse when we go out in the first round." This and this is my last word because you know we're talking about you know, uh, sort of the theme for me tonight has been, you know, management, everything, the organization, not seeing trends as they happen. And the challenge is, I I don't think Holland sees the trend. You know, if we look at his last presser, what what he went on to say was, you know, all the woulda, shoulda, couldas, right? Like that, that happened. Like we were, you know, we were in that game until this happened, right? We were, you know, we, uh, COVID was the reason we didn't get past the first round, right? Or, you know, um, you know, it was a, a really close series against the Jets and it could have went either way. And, and we had, you know, some overtimes. Uh, and the reality is, is that's, you know, Holland's looking at this as we've got the team. We're just not getting the puck luck. Right. And so I don't think he sees the trend. Right. I don't think he he fully sees the trend. He thinks he's got he's got all the right tools in place. He just needs to get a little bit of puck luck. And we know that 
you know, that's, you know, hope's not a strategy. Right. And so that's in my mind, that's where he's at. That's why, you know, I'm not expecting a whole lot. If, if we, I will cheer to the end. I'm a fan, right. I'll cheer to the end and I, and I want them to make the playoffs, but um, I've said it quite clearly on here. I, I, my expectation is we're not, we're not getting there. And, and uh, it's a sad fact for me, but um, maybe I'm like you, uh, Mr. Professor, I'm, I'm trying to emotionally remove myself from the well, potential you have possibility. To. It's it's but, a brilliant yeah. move by you. I completely commend you for it. <laughs> honestly, it's it's a coping mechanism that probably if most of the why don't you talk to me side... like that, Dash? Why don't you talk to me like that, Dash? <laughs> brilliant move. You know, I need more of that. I said you were my best friend today. That wasn't enough. <laughs> That's right. What the hell did we? What else do you, what else do you need from me, Michael? Now what are we changing to here? So I changed to the tree of woe from Kona and the barbarian oh, because because you invoked you invoked like you're you're not clinging to the <laughs> the like strings of hope for the season. Still, I still think we got you know like a, a two in ten, a two point five in ten chance of still making the playoffs here because we are. The Oilers are kind of a magical team, and we saw that early on. And if we can get Hyman back on the on the PK, if Nuge can be back on the PK, if Kenny Holland can get some fucking more some more players, we just need a couple more players, and it might make a huge difference. We saw what a couple more players made, what a difference it made early in the season with Hyman and Fogel, and actually having like we actually had a third line. We thought for a little while until Ryan totally like went MIA. I think the. Edmonton police service are still looking for him, but like, you know what I mean? I, I still have some hope. I still have some hope. Oscar cleft bombs coming back. All right, dash take us home. You know, the rules dash gets the last word. I want to thank you uh, again for joining us. Uh, Mr. Professor, you can find uh, handkerchief dynasty just by searching handkerchief dynasty. You find them on uh, iTunes, Google, wherever you get podcasts. A uh, great bunch of guys. Uh, and Dash, of course, with Straight Off the Pipe right here on the Heavy Hockey Network. Thanks so much. Everybody have a great night. Uh, Dash, take us home. All right. I got a little bit of a dog's breakfast to close out here because uh, I, I was making notes and I thought I had some things to say. But, you know, so here we go. Okay. Um, first things first, I think Clef may come back. If that happens, uh, there's a small, small, small chance. If that happens, let's just uh, call ourselves Tampa Bay this year because we'll bring back Clef and Nuge and Nick off the LTIR and we can just kind of hold those guys off right until playoffs and then we'll just take an extra $10 million into the playoffs. That's the answer. Anyways, just kidding. Um, I'm surprised you gave me the last word based on um, the vocabulary that I'm up against here. Um, you know, when we talk about Napoleon's army and, and quantum singularity and, and collateralized frozen assets and, and Dante's uh, in, infernal. <laughs> well, um, part of, part of that is, is, is I'm, I'm drunk and high. So um, well, it, that's it why they call me the very... professor. That's, that's actually how I, what, that's why I started the podcast because a friend of mine said to me, uh, he was visiting in Vancouver and I was saying, I kind of, I kind of want to start an Orlis podcast. Like I've been listening to some and I think I could be good at it. He was like, <laughs> he was like, your name should be the secret professor. Cause you're always saying all this random shit. That's like kind of crazy. And it's like, what is this guy? Some kind of fucking secret professor. But yeah, your like, vocabulary is wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in a lexicon of some kind. Oh, um, you said lexicon. I was literally about to say the word lexicon. Okay. High five. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We got it. We got it. We got to come on each other's show in the next like 
All right. We, we can lexicon away on straight off the pipe. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it really just made me realize that, you know, when you were reading Sir Isaac Newton and Hemingway, I was probably reading double budget uh, issues of the Archie comics, but um, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I was, I was, I was watching Seinfeld. Like, honestly, I've read like two books in the last 10 years, believe me. <laughs> I'm like, it's, a, it's, I'm really good at sounding. I've read like Wikipedia a lot of times. I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, if Evander Kane ends up being the Trojan horse to the uh, handkerchief dynasty and, and the priest quits, then maybe you and I can start the, the handkerchief diaries and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll go that way because Hebert is uh, talking right. about how he bring fires us people home. in business. We got to get Leonardo DiCaprio involved. Air, so. <laughs> if, if we start doing handkerchief diaries, we got to get Leonardo DiCaprio involved for sure. Yeah, I mean, Mike, it's like we said we'd go for an hour. We've gone for, I think, 99 minutes. Yeah. We're torturing Mike. It's like 345 in Newfoundland. In, in, in Newfoundland, where are you exactly? I'm gonna well, shut it down. I'm gonna yeah, shut, shut it down, down here. Come on, Dash. um, say what you let, me, let Dash get the last yeah. word in here and then we'll shut it down. That's uh, okay. I think I told the, the boss of the network that he's full of hot air, so this <laughs> might be my last podcast on Heavy Hockey Network, anyways. Um, good night, everyone. <laughs> Hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening, and all talk to you soon. <laughs>